Hey everyone, it's another edition of the DMC America podcast with me, Ted Rall, coming at you from the left. And I'm Scott Stannis coming to you from the right and happy 9-11 week coming up, Ted. Happy 9-11 day to you, Scott. I, I didn't get uh, you anything. I have a, you know, have, but I do have a joke for you. Okay. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> knock, knock. Who's there? 9-11. 9-11 who? You said you'd never forget. <laughs> yep, that's, that's how we roll here on the DMZ America podcast. Um, this is coming Saturday, the 20th anniversary of the September 11th terrorist attacks that killed over 3,000 Americans in New York, Washington, and Pennsylvania. And uh, obviously, it's not a laughing matter, but much of the political policy reactions to 9-11 and the way that Americans have kind of acted over the last 20 years have been uh, kind of a uh, kind of a joke. And um, I think uh, this, you know, like some years, Scott, like Halloween is a bigger deal than others, or some years like everybody's doing St. Patrick's Day, but other years, maybe not as much. And yeah. it does seem like this 9-11 is really- Well, a it's, a it's a 20th anniversary. It's a nice round number. Um, it's been odd looking at the, you know, I, I haven't looked at pic images or videos from that that day for, for years. Um, and it's still kind of traumatizing. It really, really is. And I think uh, the, the country went through PTSD. I think we've lost, I think part of what we're dealing with in the United States right now is, is this kind of uh, trauma. And it's led us to do things like, you know, elect Donald Trump president. And, 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 and ignore the two countries that attacked us and invade two that didn't. Well, in fact, we let one of them who attacked us, you know, uh, <laughs> capture, torture, kill, dismember. And we're like, eh, we're good with that. A Washington Post columnist of all yes. people. You know, yeah, you not, think not like, that, like, say, the Washington Post would be bummed about that. Well, you know. You can always get a new columnist, I guess. You know, syndication <laughs> packages are cheap. <laughs> By the way, creator syndicate. This is standing by that you can always call and pick up my given what given what's happened to newspapers lately there's probably more columnists than there are than there is oil in the world or, right or subscribers <laughs> so yeah so we do, i mean should have invaded listen let me back this truck way up for a second go to go to uh, 9-11 you and i were just becoming really good friends back then and uh, and that whole period. And I frankly didn't believe much of what you said. And what's, you know, I'll say it right now, much of what you said then has come to fruition. You know, we shouldn't have invaded Afghanistan or at the very least just thrown some bombs at some of the, you know, some of the Al-Qaeda park, uh, parks, Al-Qaeda camps. <laughs> well, they did have that video that Jungle Gym. You know, remember the Jungle Gym video that you see the guys like- Yes, I know. It's like, is there going to be a lot of that in, you know, in suicide bombing? I don't think so. Um, <laughs> But just, I mean, so, so I want to just state for the record and that you were really, your view of this was crystal clear, much clearer than anybody's, including the administration, the intelligence communities, military community, um, all of us. And, you know, I was just like everyone else, rah, rah, let's go bomb the shit out of these people and let's, you know, get revenge. Um, Iraq was a different can of worms, of course, but the invasion of Afghanistan, you know, like you said, we should have invaded Pakistan. We should have invaded Saudi Arabia. If we're going to um, make it a military matter, those yeah. are the two countries to go after. I mean, I still maintain it should have been handled as a law enforcement issue. 
Um, you know, we have uh, all the main perpetrators who weren't, you know, dead on 9-11 from, you know, flying planes into buildings. Um, they lived for the most part in Pakistan and we have an extradition treaty with Pakistan, pretty good relationship with them, uh, excellent relationship with the ISI, which is their CIA. Um, and we could have had Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and these other guys extradited to the United States to face criminal charges in the US or we could have turned them over to The Hague. Um, you know, and it would have, you know, you look at Slobodan Milosevic from Serbia. You know, he looked, he, he was robbed of his power and kind of wound up as a sad gray man in a bad suit. Um, and that's pretty important propaganda and he got a fair trial. And I think, you know, if the US was supposed to stand for anything, it's about truth, justice in the American way and fairness. And we didn't provide, we managed to take Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, a guy who planned to kill 3,000 people, would have happily killed more if he could have. Um, we turned him into a victim. We waterboarded him 266 times, put him into a concentration camp, tortured him in other ways as well. And he's the victim now. I mean, we really fucked up. Yeah, I just, you know, I, how, you, how do you treat these people? How do you treat people who would, you know, foist a plan like this on the world i mean to be perfectly honest they succeeded i mean uh, not just on that day which i think they were i hate to use this word but it's really the only word that comes to mind is they were lucky you know um you see the security camera footage from when these guys i mean what was it in boston they were stopped because they were carrying box cutters yeah and then the security guys at the time yeah, the, 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 the security guys go, huh, okay, keep going. Well, they had to. That was like, that was the rule at the time. They could, they should. Yeah, I know. That's how stupid things were though, right? I mean, that's yeah. how preposterous and how massive holes were in the security system of our of our transportation oh. system back then. Um, but going forward, and this, this is a huge question, Ted. I don't know, no podcast is long enough for this and we're not really expert enough. We should probably bring some people in to talk sometime in the next few weeks. But what's the lessons from, what are the abject lessons from 9-11? For instance, what are you going to cartoon about in the next couple of weeks? Because I mean, this is right in your wheelhouse, right? I and mean, this is Ted Rawland. Yeah. So what are you going to say? Well, I mean, I think the first thing is, you know, I took real issue with the whole idea. We have to do something. I mean, yeah, we have to do something, but do we? Not if we don't know what the right thing to do is. You know, basically, America, basically it was the equivalent of you're walking down the street and most Americans had no idea that anti-Americanism was such a big thing and especially in the Muslim world. But basically you're walking down the street and, and someone hits you in the back of the head with a brick and you're not even sure really who it was. So what do you do? Do you just lash out and start you know, open fire and shoot everyone around you? Or do you try to figure out who it was and then bring them up for charges? And think about it. We didn't stop and think. I mean, we got attacked on September 11th. According to Dick Cheney's own memoir, he was talking to Bush about invading Iraq on September 11th. The media had no evidence that Al-Qaeda was involved, but they were reporting it as a fact on September 11th. On October 7th, less than a month later, we're dropping bombs on Afghanistan, which has had nothing to do with 9-11. So like, you know, we didn't stop and think. We didn't investigate. We didn't take the Taliban up on their offer to turn over bin Laden. Bush on October 14th turned it down. Uh, he didn't even want to talk to them about it. I mean, look, the Taliban didn't have diplomatic relations with the US. So all they said was, we want to see some evidence that he's involved in 9-11 and we'll turn him over. Frankly, that's a pretty generous offer. 
considering it's a country that had no diplomatic relations with the US. They could just tell us to fuck ourselves. They didn't. And Bush's like, yeah, I don't want to talk to you. So obviously he wasn't serious about getting bin Laden. And it's it's just a so I think that I would love so what are you gonna cartoon about? I mean, I know you you I mean you and I both are cartoonists. We're gonna think really about know this. Yet. I don't know. I mean, I know that I have to mark the 20th anniversary and of course, the fact we've done both done cartoons, several of them now, Scott, like about how the, you know, we have nothing to show for 20 years of occupation of Afghanistan. We're right back where we started. The Taliban now claim to have wiped, uh, mopped up Panjshir province, which was the last uh, place in the country that was resisting at all. So, you know, I mean, I think the next thing now is what's the next thing? I'm very, they keep talking about how from now on they're going to rely on drones, more drones. And I think drones are dangerous. I know one thing I want to talk about is like there will be drones over American skies flown by terrorist organizations and by nation states that we are at, uh, at war with or um, feuding with in some way. And I don't think that's a good thing. And we started it. We should have. You know, we should start a, we should have an international convention against drone warfare, just like there's an international convention against mine warfare. Drones which the United States has not signed. Which the U.S. has not signed. I think we're virtually unique, right? Isn't it like us in Myanmar or something? Yeah, or Sudan or Djibouti or something. Yeah. No, like Djibouti, Djibouti, those people are smart. They fucking signed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, my not be, nations- let's not be dissing Djiboutians. One of my favorite nation states. Shake, 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 shake your booty. Shake your booty. That's how I remember. They have a cool flag, too. And it's cute. It's nice. It's got it's yeah, it's okay. It's not the best. Not the best. What's the what's your favorite? What's your favorite? I think the Taliban flag is fucking awesome, dude. You I don't there's a great book. I'm actually a member of the North American Vexiology Association, right? And they That's have a book, kinky. they put out a booklet. It's pretty much a brochure called Good Flag, Bad Flag. And what, shut up. <laughs> one of the That's a pretty rules. great title, not. <laughs> well, but one of the rules about a good flag versus a bad flag, bad flags have writing on them. So the Taliban flag has the writing. And there's a name for that, right, Ted? There's, uh, I forget what it's called, that, you know, uh, Allah, Allah is God. There is no. Oh, yeah, that's God. the. Um, Allah yeah. and Muhammad is his prophet. It's the prayer of the faithful, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So I don't, you know, I, 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 a version of that is Saudi Arabia, which actually has the sword. That's awesome. And it's green instead of white. Yeah. So it has some, some, you know, some aesthetic appeal. You know, as a wordy cartoonist, I'm, I'm never against words, especially Arabic calligraphy is cool. Well, that's the thing is because they oppose any other kind of aesthetic. Um, my understanding is so calligraphy is huge in the, in the, um, in the Sunni world. world. However, they can do, they can definitely, Sunnis can do, um, they can do uh, geometric design, right? Like, like if you look at yeah. carpets, like Afghan carpets have geometric designs, but like Persian carpets, which are from a Shia country, they'll have birds and plants and stuff. You can't have that in the right. same country. Yeah. So enough of that. Enough of that. For, so we, you still, I don't know what I'm going to draw about. I mean, I, I wonder if there's a part of me that should say how wrong I was at the beginning of things and being kind of rah rah, especially about the invasion of Iraq, which was a huge mistake. I mean, you talk about how stupid American intelligence is. I mean, you were talking about Shia, uh, Sunni, and um, oh, who are they up in the northern part of Iraq? Uh, the Kurds. Uh, and how, I mean, it's three different nations. And the intelligence community going in had no idea. Like, they're like, oh, they're all the same. You know, come on. 
Well, yeah. Although we were going to lose no matter what they knew or didn't know. But going back, can I touch on real quick on your point about drones? I f- hate it uh, to my marrow. Uh, no one remembers this conflict with Kosovo. There's mm. a genocide and there's, there's a terrible conflagration, but we just lobbed a crap ton of missiles in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had an effect. It worked. It was mm-hmm. one of the early times when we really, because the bombing, especially with drones, can be very precise. Um, I'm trying to think, were drones around then yet, Ted? Or? No, dr- no, no. They only started to weaponize, dr- like the the um, Clinton administration bought the Predator drones and they said they will only be used for observation and never, ever, <laughs> ever, ever, ever weaponized. So Never, ever, unless they, until they are. And for months so, later they were. The Kosovo and what... <laughs> This is going to sound really weird, but stay with me on this. Um, not one American soldier was killed or injured in the, or, or UN soldier was killed or injured in the, uh, you know, going into Kosovo. It was effective. It made the troops back off. It's you know, it was, it's one of the rare examples, actually, of yeah. a pure an air campaign having a strong political effect because it usually doesn't. Like even right. even World War II, saturated yeah. bombing of Germany did not have the effect. Uh, saturation the fire bombing of tokyo did not make them you know we had to use a very it big usually bomb doesn't twice but you know i gotta well, take an issue when you say it's very precise it's very precise however you don't know what you're you don't know what you're hitting you can hit the you can x marks the spot but you don't know what's under the roof of the spot that's the problem yeah, grant well here's my point i'm just gonna go forward with this and saying that what bothered me about that whole operation and the celebration is that it was the sanitized version of war. And it's the same, and it extends to now drone war, which is like, we got some kid in Tampa driving this, you know, this drone in Kandahar and blowing people up helter skelter. You know, it's like, um, it sanitizes war to a point where- It makes it too easy. There's, yeah. it, it make, and it's like, I mean, I was talking to Bernie Sanders when I was interviewing, for my, interviewing him for my book about him. And he didn't even have a problem with drones. And he goes, well, serious? yeah, he said like, well, you know, if you're dead, you're dead. What's the difference? And I was like, it's the fact that we have no skin in the game. Yeah, we don't exactly. Care. Like, I mean, I don't want any Americans or anyone else to die, but ever, but like the, except perhaps a certain former LA Times publisher, but like <laughs> anyway, there's, um, you know, him, a drone. Yeah, okay, we do that. But, but like, there's definitely not, any sense of, I don't know, it's, it, it's, it's too, it's just too fucking easy. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and like you said, there's no blood. It's, it's just, it is the sanitary and that, and war well, there's should, blood there. It just doesn't, it just of course, of course, but I'm saying, yeah, but there's no, we've it's made, wildly inaccurate. No, we've made no sacrifice. And that's the thing is that war has to be messy and bloody and awful because and otherwise we do it even more often than we do. And we already do it too often. This is where my bleeding hearts, this is where my bleeding heartness comes out in full. I just, I'm so anti-war because wars are stupid. Wars are dumb. And here's the, and ultimately there's a great line. I'm stealing this from, of all shows, Doctor Who, which I love, but he gives a speech about war. And, uh, I'll have to talk about Doctor Who someday because I know I don't get that show at all. Oh, Every, a lot of smart people I know, including you, like love Doctor Who, but. Anyway, well, that's because you hate people. And no, I like people. You're on the side of the terrorists. Well, anyway, different. the terrorists. Are people. 
there are some that you are, but um, he gives a speech about Warren at the end to, to paraphrase. He just says, you know, and the thing is you kill each other and you, the, the tears and the blood and the treasure that all oh, that's lost just to get to the point where you should have started from. And that's sitting down and talking. And that's absolutely right. If you think about every arc of every war, that's what happens. Blast the shit out of you, kill a bunch of people. And then at the end of it, you sit down and talk. Yeah, that's right. Well, let's, why don't we just start there? And well, you know, it's you sort know of like what, when you hear about murder suicide, I say, well, start with the last one first. You know, I don't remember if it was the Hittites or the, the Assyrians who used to do this, but actually what they would do is they would meet on the field of battle when they had a dispute. And then the two top generals would count up each opposing army's forces. And then they'd get together with a small conference of chiefs and they say, they would try to determine who would have won had the battle been fought. And they would be like, well, you know, you know, General Scott, you showed, General Standis, you showed up with 8,000 men and 4,000 cavalry. And I only had 2,000, but some of my guys are pretty badass, but I still don't think I could have overcome you. So I probably would, you would have kicked my ass. And so, all right, so I probably would have lost, you know, X amount of land. So I'm just going to transfer that land to you. And then you'd be like, all right, thanks. Have a good one. See you next time. <laughs> and that's, so they didn't, they had like a, that's how they do it in a bloodless way. And the Taliban kind of took over Afghanistan the same way. They would surround like a town and say, listen, guys, we don't want to kill you. It's just, we're bigger than you. We have more of you. Just come out, join us or go home. And that's how they took over Afghanistan. Um, that's like, that's kind of like, it's more civilized than our way. You know, like basically you just end up talking either way. It all ends up for the most part, it ends up the same way. You know, we like to think about like the surprise come from behind, you know, 100, you know, 300 guys at Thermopylae, you know, although they lost. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's, I mean, I would, like I said, war is stupid. I am, I am so anti-war unless there's really extreme reasons to go to war. Um, I'd say World War II would probably fit that category. World War sure, I would sure. not, Korea would not, Vietnam would not, uh, Afghanistan would not, Iraq would not. Well, I mean, it's, I have a very tall bar. And I mean, Ted has a son, I have two sons. And um, while I still think the draft should extend to all sexes, um, would you, the, the question you have to ask yourself is, would you sacrifice your son for this cause? And that, that creates a whole new alchemy to this question. So I'm sacrificing my son to get Grenada back. God damn it. Yes. <laughs> As goes Grenada, so goes Trinidad and Tobago. <laughs> Uh, hey, listen, we, uh, last week's uh, podcast, can I jump to this? Uh, we yeah. got a comment on Twitter, a Chip Christian, um, who actually engages what I said, which I love. Listen, by the way, folks, if you want to jump on Twitter or email, you know, you can email me directly at uh, Scott Stantis, I mean, sstantis at gmail.com. Give it away. You can go ahead and do it. I'd love to talk to you about it, but let me, can I read these real quick, Ted? Not just, yeah, yeah, please. Uh, We'll talk about it. So it's a, it's a three-parter. He says, I'm not sure what exactly he talked about in the first one, but let me just read them and then we can talk about it. He goes, now you can laugh and, and this is about last week's uh, podcast. He says, now you can laugh and say that was years ago, but this bullshit has been going on in your precious red states throughout our lifetimes. And we're talking, Ted and I were talking about the abortion and the abortion decision by the Supreme Court or lack thereof mm -hmm. and what the uh, Texas law is. Chip goes on to say, you were completely disingenuous when you brushed off Ted Rawls' question about states' rights versus teaching evolution in schools. 
You know that your glorious right-wing states are trying to prevent teaching evolution, right? Or at the very least, elevate creationism to be equivalent. And the third and last uh, text on this issue, not sure I buy your libertarian argument here. Women have... Women should have the right to abort within the first trimester or the second with some restrictions. Oh, unless the red state they live in decides to assert and control control over their bodies. Am I missing something here? Yeah, Chip, I think you're just to get the last point first is that that would, and I propose that as this is a compromise that roughly 70% plus of Americans would support or say they support is uh, unfettered access in the first trimester, some restrictions on the second and absolute abolition on the third trimester um, of, of abortions. Um, so that just to, just to clarify that, but the rest of the stuff is, you know, you know, we were talking about states' rights, the intent of the founders that the states should be the laboratories for federal government and federal laws. And that makes, you know, yeah, it's messy and it can have a, have a checkerboard you know, of, of, of laws across us that differ across the nation. I don't have a problem with that. Messy is fine. That's what things are. Um, but, you know, to say that, and I also think the kind of sneering at red states that, that Chip has here, there's some red states that are doing quite well. Um, you know, the populations for Texas and Florida, both of those states are gaining two Congress people. Um, and there are some well, red I mean, states. Well, I mean, the state is growing in size. I mean, that is a metric. It is a metric. People do, vote with, metric. Their, people I mean, do it, vote with their feet. But I mean, I think, you know, I think back during the oil rush in the 80s, uh, sorry, early, late 70s, early 80s, people moved to Texas because they were just chasing jobs and, you know, they, right. it's not a political, like, Oh, I love the way they're doing things. They just want the, the, they just want the work. I think this is part of moving down to Texas, which like I said, in Florida are growing. Um, Florida, I mean, for obvious reasons, first of all, there's nothing to shovel. There are no jobs up in the rust belt. So what's keeping you there. Um, and, but blue States like Illinois, I work for the Chicago Tribune, lived in Chicago for over a decade. Um, the Texas, the taxes are so onerous. And then you look around and you say, hey, I can move to, let's say, Alabama mm -hmm. uh, and pay a fraction. I mean, cost you literally give yourself really a low. What's that? Cost of living is super low. Yeah, you're literally giving yourself a 20% pay, pay bump by moving to the these places. So, I mean, I'm not going to sneer at red states. Some are doing well, some are not. Alabama and Birmingham and Memphis, gee whiz. Alabama and Mississippi are not. Um, they no, never kind of are. Yeah, Alabama and no, Mississippi I, are and Louisiana are consistently the poorest states in the country. Like, with, yeah, which is bizarre because I mean, you just think of the natural resources. Ted, you've you know you visited us here a number a couple yeah. of times. No, I, I like I liked it there. I do. I like it there. Until the you know the politicians start talking. Um, so well, that's I mean, true. We have that problem in New York as well. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, do you want to say? Did you want to address the stuff that Chip brought up, Ted? Or um, you know, I mean. I think, yeah, the sneering thing is never something I'm happy about either. Um, you know, I think, I do think that the, you know, the, the argument that I made that he was kind of responding to was just that states' rights, I'm a little suspicious of because like, you know, like I mentioned the creationism thing. I mean, it is true that like in school, why should a kid in say, I believe it was Kansas, like not have, you know, not have to learn that Darwinism, that uh, evolution is the best accepted science and that creationism is no science at all. I mean, they should, they should have to learn that. I mean, right. anywhere in I the agree. United States, you should have to learn that, but without federal control of education, you're not, you can't ensure that. So, 
I mean, I do think that there are things that states and, and municipalities just know better about their own places. You know, they know their own concerns, they know their own people, they know their own culture, their own economies. Um, you know, not everything can come from Washington. It's, this is a huge country. Uh, a Washington bureaucrat is not going to know uh, what goes down, what is best for, uh, you know, Henderson, Nevada. But they, there are many, many uh, things that I think should be controlled more from the federal level. And I think abortion rights are one of them. I mean, if we're, if we're a country that wants to ban abortion completely, we should have a vote, we should have a plebiscite and figure that out. But if we're a country that wants to legalize it, uh, either completely as I favor, I mean, I think there's many circumstances in the third trimester in which women have to be able to get abortions um, or, um, or, or partially, as you propose, uh, it should be federal. I, I, it's just weird. I mean, think about gun, you know, gun control or gun rights. I mean, it's really kind of stupid to have a hodgepodge of laws where, you know, you can live in, say, New York City, where you cannot legally really own a gun in, under most circumstances. You can't buy one, you can't own one, but you can just drive out to Pennsylvania two hours away and go to a Dick's Sporting Goods and buy one and bring it back in your car. I mean, that's dumb. Yeah, I, I can see the. It's the debate of our country. It has been from the beginning, and it's a healthy one to have, right? I mean, it's just we should be saying where is the balance, you know, between states because states' rights. Let's be clear. And to Chip's point, I'm not. I'm not. They have a dark of, past, or maybe they have a very white past. Maybe. Yes, I am not a, unaware of the history uh, and the use of the phrase states' rights. There's a states' right party for crying out loud. Tom Thurman. Yep. Oh, 1948. I have the button. And George Wallace was there. Wasn't that the uh, states' right? Or yeah. um, no, he was. He was 60, not a, he in '68. Was a Dixiecrat? He was not a Dixiecrat. No, the states' rights parties were the Dixiecrats. That's '48. Yeah, that's well, whatever George Wallace ran on in 68 was very similar. So I understand the cry and the wail of states' rights, but the states' rights extend to denying people the right to eat at a lunch counter, uh, to vote, you know, crazy things like that. And yes, you have to have the federal government step in and enforce the constitutional rights of those individuals. I'm not unaware of this stuff. I'm really not. But my point is, it doesn't have these, there are no simple answers here, I think. I think there's a balance and it's always this fight. It's sort of like capitalism, which, you know, you can hate or you can love, but I love it because it is messy because it is, you can't predict where things are going to be successful or where they're going to fail. And I love that about capitalism. I love the messiness. I love the, you know, I know when you disagree, you and I disagree on that point almost any other. Yeah. Capitalism is definitely, I mean, look, communism and socialism has been messy as well, to say the least. Um, You know, so if you want, if it's mess that you're after, and I'm not sure that messiness is something that I would (laughs) hold up as a high value of governance. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) then I think we could have a mess off, but that's for another weird podcast <laughs> yeah no, i i i do i do i like i actually do like the messiness and the fact that what out of the chaos can emerge things like apple computer out of the out of this chaos can emerge you innovation, know because yeah, but socialism creates innovation too i mean oh, seriously there are there are i can send you books of of inventions by uh eastern bloc and soviet countries the stuff that will blow you away they came up with incredible shit you know most when you and i were kids 
the upper scale, the upper reaches of the periodic table of the elements, uh, they were all discovered by Russian Soviet scientists, right? Well, looking for stuff to blow us up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, they were no, little things that but, lasted for like, you know, a fraction of a second. And I would argue that that those inventions came from the messiness of socialism, the place where, you know, uh, uh, lack of services, lack of capital, lack of, of stuff to buy created a, a need and that need was met. And that's what human beings do is we go, oh, you can't, you know, the Soviet Union doesn't make you know, they're, they're going to start Wait, you're rationing saying vodka. You're saying a Soviet scientist couldn't get toilet paper one day. So he's like, I'm going to go invent element number 112. I'm going to say, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what well, I'm saying that their, their um, military industrial complex was very similar to ours in that I told you my theory of humanity, right? When we discover new stuff, there's always, we always go for three things. We look for the first thing. Number one, can we eat it? Number two, if it's element I, 12, no. <laughs> can we have sex with it? Maybe. And number three, number three, can I kill another human being with it? Those are the three questions we always ask whenever we discover anything new. Eat it, screw it, kill with it. Yeah. And that's what the, the discovery of those things were. It was a nuclear scientist, nuclear level scientists uh, looking for things to, you know, can we blow people up? Is this a more efficient way to, to make a bomb? Well, they were also looking for power. Like energy power, not power. Yeah, power. yeah, 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 yeah. Energy power, like nuclear power. All right. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's okay. That's my take on... Um, <laughs> on humanity and chip by the way trip christian thank you for writing i, I appreciate it i'm glad i hope more of you out there do it because we'd love to have this part just, be, yeah, be part of the it. discussion it's it's at s stantis or at ted Rawl on twitter yeah so we should talk a little bit and this is already running a little long i think but we should probably talk mention the, the flooding um that uh devastated uh well obviously the louisiana coast um but also more surprisingly yeah. my hometown of new york city which received uh had record rainfall a week ago, and then got uh, record rainfall um, just now, recently, a couple days ago, that uh, just caught many people by surprise and caused local politicians to acknowledge that maybe it's time to start thinking about climate change, uh, you know, as a real, as a reality, you know, since it is a coastal city. I was thinking Superstorm Sandy might have had that effect, uh, considering that they had uh, major arteries and transportation tunnels under the rivers, you know, completely submerged and art galleries floating out to sea, uh, you know, uh, people swimming, swimming down the streets of Canarsie in Brooklyn. But, you know, I guess that didn't wake them up. But uh, 28th Street subway station underneath the, under, you know, uh, totally, uh, you know, going under that, that seemed to wake them up a little bit. Was that the video that I saw one video? I love this is how New York is this? The train pulls it. There's like this literal waterfall coming yeah. over. The train goes through it and opens its doors. Hey, like, it's New York, man. The, sub the subway always runs. Uh, you know, I don't, so some people one thing that I noticed out. about that video that people don't know, though, unless they're New Yorkers, is you may have noticed the bubble, the water bubbling out from the floor of the subway, like ferociously, like just spewing in one of the videos. You yeah, what's water. that about? That's a main. So, the, the, you know, many of the water mains and sewage pipes are literally 200 or more years old. They're clay. And so, so anyway, this is all a long-winded way to talk about climate change, um, which you and I have disagreed about in the past. Um, the 
issue is not whether the climate is changing. Everyone knows that it is, I guess, except for some troglodytes. But everyone, the question is whether it's part of a natural cycle or whether human beings have anything to do with it or whether human beings are, ex, you know, there's always the possibility that we are in a natural warming cycle and that that cycle is in addition being exacerbated and accelerated by human uh, activity. And I think the science is pretty clear that um, that's probably the case. I would say yes, but by turns, here's the thing. I mean, and this has always been my take on climate change is that, you know, rather than running around saying the sky is falling, which it's not yet, it's, it's a very, very slow free fall, right? Oh, dude. So have rather been, than, have, you, have you scuba dived lately? Oh my God. The reefs are dead all over the world. I mean, yeah, that's what the, they're dead. They're just fucking dead. I mean, the sky's falling. The sky has fallen. I understand that, but to the average citizen, especially ones who depend on carbon-based fuels, um, it, it hasn't. And so rather than run around and say this, you know, this, the, this kind of draconian future and, oh, my God, the, the, the polar bears. I mean, do you think the guy who lives in Toledo, Ohio, really gives two shits about a polar bear? That's not yeah, how you sell this. The guy who lives in Toledo, Ohio is wrong and doesn't know what the fuck is going on. Do we does he get a vote? I mean, really? Well, yes, he does. You know, unfortunately, <laughs> we, we let them. <laughs> but yeah. um, my point has always been, and this is where you and I probably agree, you know, the 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 green new deal and people like that AOC and people like that who are propo you know, who propose getting rid of you know internal combustion engines and so on I mean just it's crazy wait too, it's um, crazy because it's taken too long that should have been done 50 75 years ago well and they tried but the oil industries quashed any kind of attempts to do that yes. my point is that is that the guy thing. in Toledo it's that guy in Toledo that bastard in Toledo <laughs> what, what is in Toledo is dirty air dirty water, mm -hmm. uh, uh, respiratory issues with children younger and younger. So why not sell it that way? Instead of saying, you know, it's an old bumper sticker. Quality you know, of life you know, issue. Think globally, but but act locally. Uh, just say like, you know what? Here in Birmingham, Alabama, we still have power plants, which are the number one polluters in the area I live in. And yet, you know, we they they just crowed that they've upgraded their scrubbers on their uh, on their uh, smokestacks up to 1984 levels. Woo! That's <laughs> <laughs> just like, oh, it makes me want to, hold on, I'm going to go put on my Flock of Seagulls album. <laughs> and I ran. Well, it's so sweet that they wrote a song about I ran. I love that. Um, <laughs> or maybe I misinterpreted. Uh, my oh, point boy. is that Act locally, say we're going to cut the emissions locally, we're going to cut, you know, clean water locally. And you do that incrementally, you're going to have a much better chance. Scott, we don't have time for incremental. We're out of time for incremental. I mean, well, I think we're out of time. I think you're right. I think the scientists have said if that's in case the, the carbon levels, not just in the air, but in the ocean and the soil, um, you know, we've gummed it up pretty well. I think, I think, I think Greta Thunberg is right. I mean, it's, uh, we're out of time and people have to stop fucking around. I mean, it may be too late already to save ourselves, but I mean, the planet will go on without us, but 
I'd like to try to give it a, a fighting chance. You know, I'd like our kids to have a fighting chance. Uh-huh. Their kids have a fighting chance. I mean, right now, I'm not sure they do. I really don't. I mean, we're, I mean, we're, we already have catastrophic events. We have uh, 20,000 year old glaciers that have vanished entirely in just a few years. Um, the polar ice cap is now no longer around. It used to be a permanent 365 day a year feature of the Northern hemisphere. It's now gone most of the summer. It will soon be gone entirely in the winter. Um, you know, we have, and it's never coming back, even if internal combustion went away. There's so much energy in the atmosphere. I don't think we have any more fucking time. We're out of time. We dicked around and now we're fucked. Yeah. Well, yes and no. I don't think we're ever fucked. I'm, I'm, we're, we're inventive little monkeys. We'll figure out a way to survive. We always have. And so you just have to have that optimism and not, it's not even optimism. It's just a practical approach to our species. We always will figure it out. More importantly, the rich will figure it out and take advantage of the technology <laughs> and fuck the rest of us. Yeah, that's um, probably on that part, <laughs> on that point, we can hundred percent agree. Look, I think the environment is the number one, most important issue, hands down. It's more important than all other issues combined. And it's strange to me that this is not like fundamentally one of the things that uh, you know, cable t- news, TV, and politicians aren't talking about every single fucking day, because because the climate is 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 elastic. You know, the, the climate. There is times when there in our history of our planet when there was actual tundra growing up on on Antarctica. Sure. It's not unusual for this to, to to stretch and contract during the American Revolution. There was a mini ice age. Sure. Um, if you remember, well, you may not, you're just a youngin, but when I was in junior high and the environmental movement was coming and they had on, th- I think, two or three major news magazines, Time, Newsweek, and Sports Illustrated, had stories about global cooling and how we were all going to freeze to death. Yes. Well, you know, and so it's that kind of thing that makes the average Joe, especially Joe in Toledo, look and say, you know, I, you know, they said this, it was this way before, now it's this way. Yeah, well, we, if you believe in science, as you and I both do. Yeah. then yeah, you can, it, the, the information changes, but what's happened here, you look at Venus, the planet Venus, um, and what can happen with global warming run amok, you have uh, carbon levels that are through the roof, they trap in the heat. And, you know, it turns out that, you know, the surface temperature of Venus is so high, it literally can melt lead. Of course, it's a lot closer to the sun too, but yeah. It's not, that's not it. It's not that appreciably close. It's just that its atmosphere is so thick and that's what we're doing here. And so my, you and I agree to a point that let's clean the, let's just clean it. What does your mom tell you? The well, first yeah. lesson she teaches you is clean up your mess. Yeah. I mean, literally the Republican argument for all these years has just simply been, well, we care about jobs and, you know, it's too fucking expensive to, uh, to do this. And I think, look, the, the Green New Deal debate and offer is facile in a lot of ways, but one useful aspect of it has been that it does serve as a reminder that there is money to be made in big uh, disruptive changes in technology and that it's gonna be possible to make billions and trillions of dollars uh, by adapting to a a completely uh, new energy sources and getting rid of carbon and switching over. I mean, rich people should be happy about this. Well, and you, I mean, you've also talked about just alternate things like is it how I forget what you called it thermodynamic heating and cooling of your home or whatever you dig a it's as simple as you dig a hole yeah yeah and yeah the so um, the, the average temperature at, at like 30 feet is 55 degrees 
I mean, if you could keep your house at 55 degrees during the summer, you'd be it'd be freezing. But it also is a great stuff. And then winter can raise it up to 55. So supplementing that difference is, I mean, that why not? I mean, I would love to see houses that are self-contained. You know, you have solar panels, um, you have a it's well. It's stupid to be burning up tons of coal or for that matter, nuclear power or anything uh, for when you can literally just dig a hole. <laughs> and, and, by the, and by the way, wind farms are stupid. I'm just going to go on record. Wind farms are a little stupid. There's only a few places really in the in the country where they make a lot of sense, like where there's just crazy amounts of wind, right? But the U.S. is not a particularly windy country. No, and they're expensive. They're loud. They're I just I just I'm, they're kind of I mean one or two is kind of cool looking, but you drive through like Indiana, you know what else have those people got? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I, they, I drove past one fairly recently. Where by the way one of the blades had like broken off and that's not scary at all i mean usually they're no. in remote places but whoa i want to be around <laughs> when that happens okay so i think we can um ted where can we see your stuff you can go to raw.com r-a-l-l.com scott where can we see your stuff not that simple although you keep nagging me to do and you're right i should be have my own like it should be you know stantis.com and i do own that by the way i don't own stantis.com stantis.com is a private website in germany i don't know what they do yes nothing good (laughs) yeah anytime you have secret in german it's kind of (laughs) that's not good ever yeah (laughs) what's ever what what bad never come from that um but go to gocomics.com slash scott stantis or go to gocomics.com slash prickly city you can check out my comic strip you can check out my editorial cartoons go to counterpoint and you can see ted's work my work you can subscribe support editorial cartooning which is super important uh past that i'm also on the usual uh you know twitter at scott stantis instagram facebook check check us out thank you scott. We're checking out I guess I should Thanks, also remind, I should flog my bill my book too. Buy my book, The Stringer. It's new. It's good. Might be a movie it's, someday. It's superb, by the way, folks. Honest to God, I you know Ted knows, I, you know. <laughs> but in this instance, um, it's it's a, it's a really excellent read. You will be shocked at, um, at uh, just because it's surprising. Cause I've never seen you really write fiction before, and it's superb. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate that. So uh, with that, we'll uh, talk to you in a few more days and uh, have a great week and enjoy. Happy 9-11 week. Woohoo.